if you're completely trapped by a single ideology, you, you almost certainly follow everything that everyone else within your cohort does exactly the same. And I think you become trapped. And therefore, I, f I find these people less authentic and I don't trust them. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Greetings, lads and ladies, and welcome back into the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. In this discussion, Josh and myself, Dan, had a blast with the King of Bedford himself, Mr. Peter McCormick. Peter likely needs no introduction, but if you aren't a Bitcoiner, or you happen to be a Bitcoiner who's either been living under a rock for the past five years or suffers from a brain injury, Peter curates some of the most widespread Bitcoin content in the world. He hosts the What Bitcoin Did podcast, and more recently, he's now the chairman of Real Bedford Football Club in the UK. During this dialogue, the three of us cover a multitude of topics, including Peter's personal path and strategies to success, why Bitcoin is most certainly dead and can't be resuscitated, the importance of knowing CPR, how to avoid getting trapped in an ideology, the nature of free speech, and vegan football clubs. More info about Peter is down in the show notes, and as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Blue underscore Collar BTC. A shout out to our sponsors of the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast. Do yourself a favor and check out the links to both CoinKite and Ledin down in the show notes. Ledin is a very unique financial services company. They have a highly principled Bitcoin forward perspective. Ledin is the first ever digital asset lending platform to undergo a formal proof of reserves attestation, where an independent public accountant regularly attests that the company is properly accounting for client assets. To put this plainly, this company mirrors and embraces the transparency, accountability, and auditability of the Bitcoin protocol and network itself. If you do listen to this show, you notice that we advise our listeners to be careful, manage risk, and never get over-leveraged. And that does include ensuring that any borrowing and lending decisions make sound mathematical sense based on your lifestyle and specific situation. Where available in your jurisdiction, Ledin offers a menu of powerful financial services. Keep ownership of your Bitcoin and access dollar loans with Ledin Bitcoin backed loans. Harness your Bitcoin holdings to buy a new property or finance the home you already own with the upcoming Ledin Bitcoin mortgage product. Save Bitcoin and USDC to have access to Ledin dollar loans and their trading service if available. You can look into Ledin's well architected menu of services at Ledin.io. That's L E D N.io. The BCB podcast is also powered by CoinKite. Makers of simply the best Bitcoin security hardware in the business. The cold card is a one-stop shop, ironclad, air-gapped, verifiable source code hardware wallet suited for cold storage beginners all the way up to Bitcoin pros. The two of us have and continue to trust our hard-earned capital in the hands of this device. Secure your Bitcoin and sleep as sound as a European hedgehog with the new cold card Mark IV. This thing has upgraded security elements, USB-C connector, new plastic, NFC, massive RAM for multi-sig, and much, much more. CoinKite makes a plethora of other products beyond the cold card, including the gorgeous block clock display art piece. You can throw price, hash rate, having dates, market cap, and a ton of other great metrics up on this beauty. Trust me, if you're a Bitcoiner, this will be your favorite thing in the house. Explore all CoinKite products at CoinKite.com, and be sure to use promo code BCB for 5% off cold card purchases. Alrighty, folks, go ahead, brew a cup of coffee, 
grab that favorite beer, or keep your eyes on the road ahead and enjoy our time with Peter McCormick. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Peter, welcome on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Thanks for giving us some time this morning. Hey, thank you for having me on. It's uh, really cool. I've I've heard a lot about you guys. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Someone, someone was like, "You've got to talk to those firefighter dudes." Was it Foss? Yeah, he's like a blue collar Bitcoin apologist. Oh, we love that guy. He is. He's our he's our biggest fan. He's been on three times, so he's our uh, he's our repeat extraordinaire, and he is he is out and about. I mean, this, this guy's got his hands in everything in this space. It was Foss, man. I think he was in Miami or somewhere. He told me, he said, you've got to go meet these firefighter dudes. He said, they're awesome. He said, their show's a bit like yours, but I think he said that you, it's a bit like mine, but you guys are, you guys are smarter than me. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know he's full of shit, obviously. Um, yeah. So you're working on what? Your 500th episode at this point? You're, you're just cresting that, aren't you? Yeah, five hundred uh, episode five hundred is out tomorrow. It is a show I made in Miami with Austin Hill and Jeff Booth, which is pretty mm. cool, man. Because those are like everyone knows how amazing Jeff Booth is. Not pe- people don't know enough about Austin Hill, but he's also amazing. He's such a yes. smart dude, and so to get the two of them in a room together was pretty special. We tried to make it happen in Texas, fell apart, so we did it in Miami, and it's a. Uh, I mean, those two. I mean, I can just I can just say a word, and they go off, and they can chat for thirty minutes, and. I just sit there with my arms folded and listen. But yeah, that's a pretty special 500th episode. You just throw a hunk of meat out there and those two dogs just gobble it up and let you sit back and relax. Yeah, man. They, yeah, it's a pretty special show. Well, congrats on 500. And I'm, I'm sure this goes without saying, but it's obviously your last episode because Bitcoin's clearly dead after what happened <laughs> yesterday. So yeah, man. you had a good run, dude. Great run. Time to fade off into the sunset. Yeah, you know what? The timing's perfect. You know, 500 episodes. You know, Bitcoin's dead. I've grifted my money out of it. I can go off now and find a. I can go off and and, and uh, do something else. Thanks for not making us say it. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's wondering, this is our last episode too, right, Josh? We're hanging it up after what happened yesterday. Yeah. Well, I don't think we've quite grifted out enough yet, so I think we maybe got to hang it out a little longer. Maybe we'll get into NFTs and you know, DeFi. Who knows? Who knows where this goes? What is that? There's that. I think it's 99 Bitcoins has a Bitcoin obituaries page. It's been a couple of years since I've been on it, but it's like it trends all the times throughout the years that Bitcoin's been dead. It's obviously it's it's you can't resuscitate this. I mean, J- Josh and I are trained professionals in cardiac arrest. We're looking at a corpse that there's just no fucking way this thing can be resuscitated. So, yeah, exit your positions and hang it up. But it's going to sound a little grim, but like most of the time. You're not resuscitating anybody. Like this is, <laughs> you show up, they're dead. It's, uh, but you know, once in a while, one actually recovers. And Bitcoin seems to be Hold a up. zombie that keeps going, man. So you've actually saved lives. You've actually brought someone back from death to save their life and yeah, life, and they're living now. Fucking amazing. There was, there's a cool, uh, one of the earliest ones. Like this was like seven years ago. This guy was playing a gig at Sam Ash, and he just dropped dead. While playing a guitar at Sam Ash, Sam Ash is a, a guitar center store uh, near us. Someone started CPR immediately. The second this guy hit the ground, someone started CPR. And when we got there, they had already been doing a great job. The cops had already shocked him once. We took over. This guy went to the hospital, made a full recovery, 
which is extremely rare from that circumstance. And I attribute most of it to CPR right away and came and visited us afterwards. And it was, it was a cool, cool experience to watch that entire, that entire arc. It was cool. That's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, it is. And you know, it's a job, but it, it does have huge benefits when you get to see stuff like that happen. It's a really cool feeling. Talk to us a bit about um, starting your podcast. How did you see this thing from the beginning? Did you have any aspirations that it might get as large as it has gotten for you? I mean, it's, it's, well, it's just far exceeded any expectations because there's no way I could have planned for it to, to change my life the way it did. Um, uh, but I did, like, when I started it, I, I, you know, it was kind of a hobby, but I did want to, like, if it could become my job, that's what I wanted. Uh, what happened was I... Um, I met this guy called Rich Roll, who's got a podcast. He's a very, very successful podcaster. He's a, like a vegan ultra athlete. And I was vegan at the time because my mum was. My mum was sick and I went vegan with her and I was running and listened to his podcast. And I, I went to an event he put on and, in Italy. And I just said to him afterwards, uh, actually, you know, what happened was he said, like, if any of you are ever in a LA, look me up. So like, I got back to the UK and I was like, uh, Fuck, I'm gonna go to LA. So I booked a flight to LA two weeks later and I was like, yeah, hi, I'm I'm here. And I just said to him, Rich, I I really want your life. I, I love what you do. Yeah. How do you do this? And he was like, Go and check out the Pat Flynn course, buy this equipment, record your first show and be patient. So I did and yeah, that was nearly five years ago, four and a half years ago. And you know, me and him are stay really good friends and you know, we share ideas and we meet up every time I'm in LA and but no, man, and listen, look, uh, all, all I ever wanted to do, you know, when I first launched it was just like, can, can I get people to give a shit enough to listen? Right. Okay. Now, now there are people listening. Can I, can I get, make enough money out of this to, to be my job? And I got to that point, And now it's just like this whole other thing whereby I got to travel the world. I got to interview a president, which is just ridiculous. I got to buy a football team, which is my dream. So like, uh, yeah, dude, listen, every day I just feel so blessed and lucky to be doing this and uh uh i keep expecting myself to like totally screw it up and it to end and which is always a possibility i like i know this isn't gonna last forever but like while i'm doing it i'm just enjoying it and just feel very grateful that um that i get to call this my job I, we resonate with that totally and you know for us this is a hobby it's cool but the real benefit for us and uh the people we work with too i think is getting to speak to people in the industry uh, that we'd never get FaceTime with otherwise. We would, you know, we we would never be able to talk to Jeff Booth or Greg Foss on this kind of basis if we didn't have this going on. And it's a really cool, it's a really cool thing to be able to talk to them a little bit, you know, afterwards and just get a little bit of feel for who they are outside of the public face that everyone sees all the time. You know, how many how many shows have you made? Uh, we're on fifty three right now. Well, dude, listen, look, uh, you guys have got a nice following. Uh, I know your show is really well respected. Like people like you guys a lot. Um, you know, checking out your Twitter, it's, it seems you seem to have cultivated a community of people who aren't dicks to each other all the time, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, you we never don't know, get, man. Like, well, you know what? That comes with the territory of getting as as large as you've gotten. Like, you're gonna yeah. find a shit ton more assholes out of a huge, random assortment of people like you've got following you. Yeah, but I, uh, dude, I had assholes from day one. What I'm saying is, you you don't know where this will be in two three years like bitcoin uh, uh, podcasting is a bit like bitcoin right and then it takes it takes time to, there's no like overnight success mm, right you, know? you you have to do something and you have to be turn up and you have to be consistent release your one two shows a week over and over you just gotta keep going keep going yep. keep going and like two three years down the line then maybe it's 
you know, a decent chunk of income. You've got a decent uh, listening. But I know you're, you guys are really well respected. So who knows where you'll be in a couple of years, man. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate it. And on the topic of talking about crazies, what is the most insane DM email? Someone just off their rocker. I mean, are you getting <laughs> death threats regularly from crazy people? What's just the most? What's the one that pops to mind is like this fucking guy was insane and said some crazy shit. And I had to deal with this. Yeah, I mean, like, I ended up closing my DMs um, uh, because th- there are the insane ones, and I have had the death threats. But also, you get the you get the people the begging letters, which they're just so many of them. You don't know which are real or which aren't, and people telling you that if you don't give them some money, they're going to commit suicide. And it's just like, oh god, oh, shit. like really weighs heavy on you because you're like, is this real? Isn't it real? I don't know. I can't verify. I don't have the, you get so many of them. You're like daily, like five, 10. So I, I had to like, just close that. Cause I, there was no way of managing it. And Tim Ferriss talks about this. I, I've had the death threats. I've had, you know, people posting where my address is, uh, telling me like they know where my kids are, where they go to school. Uh, one guy repeatedly started creating accounts and coming back, telling me he's going to smash my teeth in with a hammer. <laughs> uh, I've had people tell me there's ones that like you get the nutters who are like research your background who've been saying things like uh, like a guy the other week where I had to take a little bit a bit of a break from Twitter where it was like uh, everyone's posted a picture of my mum who died of cancer and it was like everyone's glad she's dead there's loads loads of ones like that and it's just listen dude it's just bullshit but in the end you, it's like you just end up feeling sorry for these people because you know they're mentally in a very bad place they're, they're obviously not happy something's gone wrong in their lives yeah. so like it's hard to get angry with them it's more like you just think oh fuck man what's going on in your life that makes you like that but i think the more insane ones are the people who just like i think the most insane ones are the people who for years day in day out just just criticize you over and over and over i think i think they're the most insane because you know, you could see a death ray and you think that's like, okay, but that comes and goes. You can see a beggar. You see someone says you're a dick. But when someone spends years, like literal years, writing stuff about you over and over again, I think there's like, that. that is the most insane. Because it's like, why have you yeah. dedicated, why have you dedicated your life to just like bragging on one person over and over again? If you spent that much time in like on your own life, think where you would be, think what you could do. So that to me is the most insane one. Something that's kind of interesting on that topic, Dan and I see crazy people all the time. We get we get psych calls on a daily basis. So we see the kind of crazy situations, the person that so I'm what I'm picturing in my head when you explain that is a guy living, you know, he's one of those tinfoil hat crazies living in his house with his windows covered. The house is a total disaster and mess. And we go visit these people on a daily basis. They basically go to the hospital. The hospital goes, well, we can't do anything with this crazy person. They kick them back out and send them back home. And then they just perpetuate this crazy cycle over and over. And yeah, you've <laughs> unfortunately just had a couple of these people glom onto you and follow you around like insane nutters. Yeah. Or it's someone who's just like, uh, they seeing somebody else living a certain life and they're like, I want my life to be that way. And my life sucks and my job sucks. And I'm going to go like, they're obviously unhappy for some reason. And they just, yeah the way they express their unhappiness is to rag on somebody else. And I don't know, it just, I, I, it's a bit sad and, you know, I kind of feel sorry for them, but at the same time, it's just the most insane, but there are other insane things where you can like that have happened, which are like positive. Like when the guitarist from kiss follows you on Twitter or yeah. you get Casey nice that follow you and you get to show it to your kid or like a, 
Jan Mulby, an ex-Liverpool midfielder, followed me and I messaged him. It's like, when you start to get these people who are like the heroes or you've seen them in console, seen them play football, start following you. That to me is just the most surreal thing. It's just like, wow, this is really cool. I, I get to talk to Jan Mulby, who played football for Liverpool in the 80s and 90s, like an absolute hero of mine. That's awesome. And it's back to, I mean, to bring it back to what we were talking about with just tenacity of like staying at something long enough to be successful at it. I think, I mean, I've done a couple other things where I've seen that you, you start a small business, you, as long as you've sized this thing up correctly, you do, you keep being consistent with it. That's the only way it's ever going to be successful. These overnight success stories you hear are generally people that have been at something for five to 10 years. And it's suddenly from the outside looks like an instant success and people are all jealous about it. But if you don't have the ability to, to, to just stick to it, even when it seems like it's not going anywhere, you're definitely not going anywhere. And there's also the other side of it where you need to be able to size it up and say, all right, is this just really not going anywhere? Do I need to turn my attention to something else? I think that's the skill that the really successful people have to be able to pivot when they realize that whatever it is isn't working, I need to try something else or start a couple of things simultaneously. But whatever the point is, is it's all about consistency and sticking to it long enough for it to have some success. Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of hard work. I mean, it's a very basic thing, but I'm a big fan of hard work. Um, you you and I get to speak to some of the smartest people, right? Jeff Booth and Nick Carter yes. and Alex Gladstein's like, these people, Lynn Alden, these people are so fucking smart. It blows my mind. And I'm just not. I have different skills. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm more of a creative. So I, if you look at our website, my website's always been nicely designed. Our brand, like, that's just the side I am. And you get right. creative people and smart people and you get all different kinds of people. But but my job is one where I have to sit with smart people. So like my lack of uh, um, maybe some people would say intelligence or like way to reason things. It just it's not something I have, right? But what I what I can do is I can outwork people. Um, so you know this podcast has been going for four and a half years. I've probably been on over 150 flights doing this podcast. And what people don't realize is like in the early days I would get on a flight. Uh, uh, the cheapest flight I could find, I would fly to New York, find the cheapest hotel I could. I would get up and I would do two interviews. I'd go back to the hotel room. I would then edit it. I would publish it. I would get up the next day and do the same. Then I'd get a flight to Florida, I'd do the same. And I would travel all around the US as cheap as I could, doing all these interviews in person because I preferred in person. And then I'd go back and work on it. And for like the first two years, I basically did it on my own. And and I was you know away from my kids and just traveling a lot and you know, risking money, but like that was the real freaking hard work that went into it. And I I think some people don't realize like what goes into stuff like that. But I, I just it was the same before. I used to work in advertising. I used to pour ten twelve hour days, and uh, I I know the best thing I can do is I can outwork people and I can I can create something just by working super fucking hard. And that's what I have on my side. Well, I think it's like number one, sizing yourself up, honestly, knowing your strengths. And then if you, if you are super weak in a certain category, find a good partner who compliments you, like has the opposite, you know, polar opposite characteristics that you can then lean on. And that's a beautiful partnership. Um, the one other thing about, so the way that you're, you take criticism with a bomb from what I've noticed, like, especially the whole, the Peter McCuck thing is hilarious. The way you've leaned into it, changed your name to that multiple times, and then just basically go along and agree with all the crazy shit people are saying, I honestly, and I think most of your audience crack up when I see that stuff. And the way you haven't kind of been, you haven't changed your personality, your, your political views in order to kind of fit a square peg in a, in a square hole in this, because honestly, like most Bitcoiners started out at least from more than five years ago, 
hardcore libertarians, Austrian leaning, they have very conservative views. And from my understanding of what you say, you're a conservative in Britain, which is a liberal in the US. So being able to kind of juggle those balls and hold it together, you're very genuine in the way that you approach that. And I think that's appreciated by your audience. Well, l- listen, I mean, I, th- I, f- I find it like a, there's like an easy side to this and a hard side. Um, so the easy side is that uh, I've always just felt like just be you, right? Don't try and be something you're not, just be you. And and I run a podcast where the the last large majority of my audience is in the US, like fifty five percent, and the most vocal ones are in the US, and a lot of them are hardcore libertarians or hardcore conservatives. I'm from Europe, which is a bit more liberal, and um, we just have a different way of doing things. And uh, I definitely appreciate a lot of the ideas I've come from uh, American conservatives, and I definitely appreciate uh, uh, some of the ideas from libertarians. But I, that's just not me. I, I've grown up in a country where we have a little bit more of a social safety net. We have right. a national health service. We don't have guns. And you know what? And that's a society we've, we've grown to love and criticize for different reasons, whereas the U.S. has its own society it's grown to love and criticize. But I, but I, I refuse to be captured by an audience. I, and and yeah. it's for a couple of reasons. Like, firstly, I just don't want to lie to myself because it's fucking bollocks. But also um, – whether you agree or disagree with my views, which there's a lot of people who disagree, let's be honest, um, you know at least I'm being honest about what I think. When I say it, I honestly think it. Now, one of the tricky things, if you're somebody who's like attached to a particular ideology, I think you become trapped by that because suddenly you mm. – it's a bit like that – you know that meme, uh, I, reg- I agree with the latest thing. I support yes. the latest thing. Yep. Okay, someone posted that on my thing, and it was Biden, and it was COVID, and it was Ukraine, and it was uh, abortion, right? So I was like, well, hold on a second. I never supported Biden and Harris. I, I, was, I, I didn't like Trump, but I didn't support Biden and Harris. I think Biden did one good speech I liked. But I, think, I think he's pretty useless, but I didn't like Trump either. Um, uh, with regards to COVID, I certainly supported the initial lockdown, but I changed my mind. I never once supported any mandates or passports completely disagree with that i mean with ukraine of course i have sympathy for ukraine the country's being bombed to shit by a, a, a dictator but at the same time i you know spoke to people i've got people on my podcast to help me understand like, maybe some of the background backgrounds of nato and then with regards to the abortion thing which i haven't which i haven't by the way ever been like really public about what i think because i just hate being shouted at but honestly i'm a pro-life person um uh but i'm empathetic to both sides but i am a personally pro-life i I do consider a, uh, a, a, a an unborn ba- a baby to b- be a life, and I don't like the idea of abortion. But I'm not somebody ra- who shouts at people that they're murderers either. What I'm saying is, it's like my position is always nuanced. I'm always trying to understand people's sides. But if you're completely trapped by single ideology, you you almost certainly follow everything that everyone else within your cohort does exactly the same. And I think you become trapped. And therefore, I, f- I find these people less authentic and I don't trust them. I trust Rogan. The reason I trust Rogan is he's not trapped. He has some right views and left views and cent- centrist views. And, and you know, I think they're the people you trust the most. So firstly, that's sorry, I'm a long-winded answer. But no, no, go, go. That's go. why I, I'm, I'm that way because I'm just – I want people to trust me whether they agree with me or not. And then secondly, in, in terms of the way the criticism comes in, I mean, look, sometimes it gets to me. Like I – I dramatically quit Twitter the other week and then I came back, but yeah, I had about a month off. Um, and 
you know, a lot of the opinions weigh heavily on me. If we had my producer, Danny, here, it'd be like, you know, after every show, uh, we discuss what we asked. Did we do a good job? Could we have done a better job? We review the comments on YouTube and saying, are people fair? Are, are there fair criticisms? And if we, if we think there are, we, we try and learn from it. I'm, you know, I, I consider it a job and a career, and I should try and always get better at what I do. So I take all the criticism, a lot of it to heart. Um, but, but at the same time, it's like any show I release, dude, you go on the YouTube, it, and it's like if it's a, a, someone who's from the left, all the right people are saying, well, you've got this woke, lefty moron on it. And if it's all libertarians and people are saying, God, why have you got these? Like, why don't you have an, you know, anyone from the left on? It's like you can't fucking win. So once you realize you can't win, you might as well let it bounce off you as best you can. Just say, right. okay, fine, whatever. This is me. This is who I am. Being exactly right. So like I'm a huge fan of what Musk said about uh, potentially how he could run Twitter, which is if everybody's pissed about what's being said, then we have free speech. And I completely resonate with that. Um, if if there's only one side getting, you know, somehow uh, criticized or somehow censored on Twitter, that's just untenable. Like you, if you allow people and that's the really, really gray area, like how far do you allow what do you allow people to say before it becomes something that should be censored and that's not something i'm here to say i know and i don't think anybody really knows because it is a bit of a, a public square where if you say something really fucked up you can't actually potentially harm people um but i think musk is positioned and has the right disposition to do a really good job with this at least that's my hope i think at this point yeah it's pretty apparent to most people twitter is fairly censored uh depending on what you say and how you say it yeah, and, and it's certainly censored the right more than the left, um, which right. has been a historic uh, uh, issue because tech is primarily left, right? Uh, tech and uh, media and and Hollywood and music industries primarily left. I mean, most people who you you never you don't tend to find uh, staunch Republican pop stars, right? Because you would be completely cancelled, and and that's. Yep. And that's a disgrace because when you think about it, a lot of conservative ideas are very, very good. They're, they're, you know, they're hard not to support, but it's just become this kind of like battleground. Listen, I, I think uh, all speech should be free within the limits of the law. You know, you should be doxing people and threatening violence and right. you know, threatening to rape people. But there are some nuances and complexity around this. You know, as with every issue, it's like, is a Russian bot free speech? You know, if you've got a Russian bot farm spreading misinformation, is that free speech? Should you be, should yeah. you be blocking those accounts? I, I mean, I don't know. I think you should. And and uh, but I think that the Twitter itself could give you ultimate free speech, but also be unproductive to society because it's such a, um, a stomping ground of hate and arguments and shouting at people. I think Twitter could be improved just with better tools. Um, sure. Yeah, for example, I would just one feature I would absolutely love is to block the ability for people to comment on my feed. Now, some people have said that censorship, but I don't think it is. I think it's my feed. I can choose who can comment on it. And if somebody keeps coming on and insulting people and harassing people, I should have the choice. I mean, I can block them. Why can't I just say can't comment? Because for me, that would be super useful. Because I, yeah. I mean, I don't have to block them. I just. And I think if you had that, maybe people, some people would stop being such dicks because I don't want to block people from speaking for, for their views. I want to block people from speaking in my feed because they're abusive and they're rude and they're aggressive. 
you know, I wouldn't allow it on my, if someone came onto my podcast and they were rude, abusive and aggressive on the mic, I'd be like, look, I'm just going to end this. And I don't, I don't want it. It's just, it's not useful. I mean, right. It's, it's never happened, but, um, but yeah, I mean, to, the problem with Twitter I find is that most social media, the, the problem are the algorithms that are designed in a way to drive attention and, and uh, addiction to the platform, which drives advertising revenues. So ultimately it works for the benefit of the advertisers and against the natural benefit of the users. And I think that's an issue. I, I hope Musk can solve it. I, I believe you know, he has the right intentions. So let, let's hope it happens because certainly the, the right have been far more sensitive. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think he's, a, I thought he was a moron, but I don't think Donald Trump should have been removed from Twitter. I think, that's yeah. insane that you remove a sitting president. It really is. <clears throat> it really was a strange situation that they uh, couldn't believe they did it. I want to transition this a little bit and talk about. So our, our primary shtick on the, our show is to talk about the middle class and how Bitcoin's beneficial for them. Um, two things yeah. that I've noticed just in our profession, and I think this is, a, is very applicable widely for most people. There's two sides of the spectrum here, like people that are being severely hurt right now. The number one that I see every day is young people, say they're mid-20s, just started a career. They're just starting to get on their feet. They're saving money. Most of these guys, um, thinking of one particularly, wants to buy a house right now. And we all know real estate has just gone completely bonkers in the last few years. He's been priced out, you know, outbid multiple times to the point now he can't partake in this market. So he he's coming to like guys like Dan and I, like, what should I do here? And I don't, I don't really know because we're in a situation where if you're not buying some property, you're missing out uh, completely from the benefits of appreciating property. But we're also looking at potentially this market shitting the bed in the very near future with interest rates rising and all of that. What would be your advice for somebody in that position? Like they've been responsible, they've saved a good amount of money, they want to buy a house, they want to just start their life, and they just are keep getting blocked out of this market by people that are cash offers that are outbidding them every single time. And, and the hard part is you can't you can't be like buy Bitcoin because as we've seen in the last few weeks, like he could get a 50% haircut in the next few weeks. If we're going to be realistic, Bitcoin's not a good short-term thing to be buying. And neither is the stock market. There's nothing. I just, I just don't know what to tell him. Dude, it's a tricky one. How old is he? Say about 25. Okay, about 25. Okay. I mean, listen, look, it's super tricky. I've got a friend of mine at the moment. She's trying to buy a house. Uh, she keeps like, getting priced out. She viewed a house yesterday. She offered £15,000 over the asking price. And still lost it. Still didn't get it. Jesus. So it's, it, it is a stri- super tricky situation at the moment. I mean, look, there are options. The option one is, uh, well, there, yeah, option one is to try and find a jurisdiction you want to live in where you can afford a property. Option two is come to some kind of acceptance. You know, as frustrating as it is, and annoying as it is, but like an acceptance that you you can't get a property at the moment, and therefore focus on your career. And, you know, maybe get to a point, you know, work on your savings that you can do in the future. I mean, it's tough because the options aren't good. And we're at a time where everything's getting super weird. And, oh, man, it's tough. I mean, I think about my kids, dude, and all I can do is save for them, right? I have a right. saving and I save for them. And hopefully one point when they want to get on the housing ladder, I can help them and do that. But it's it's a really tricky environment. I think I think young people have got it tricky in a couple of ways. Not only is the money system fucked, but we've got this mass. We've had this massive change in technology over the last ten to twenty years that is rapidly changing still. 
yet we have an education system that is just not kept up. It's just not kept up. We're not equipping people for the real world anymore. I mean, we, we teach kids to memorize facts when they have a supercomputer in their pocket. We, yep. um, yeah, I've thought of that for a while. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I mean, my, you know, my kids are still doing math that I don't understand. I mean, look, I understand some people might want to be a doctor or something where they might need that. But what about real skills? My, you know, my kids are getting gender studies at school, and I'm not here. I'm not one of these people who's going to rag on trans or whatever. I'm just saying gender issue became an, a really big issue for education. Why didn't financial literacy also become an important issue? Right. I mean, personally, look, if, if, if either of my kids come around, turn around to me tomorrow and said, look, I want to quit school, I'd be like, cool, what are you going to do instead? You can quit, but tell me what you're going to do instead. Like, what is your plan? And I would help them, and I would be cool with that. Because, you know, the, the work environment's changing. Do you really want to go and get a job where you're just like a cog in a wheel process and shit? Or do you want to do something creative, you have control of your time? Yeah, and how are you going to earn the money to get you the things you want? But, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not really answering your question because I don't know the answer. You know, if you're getting priced out, you need more. You need you. You either need more money, or you need to find a property you can afford. And if it's either lowering your expectations, move into another environment uh, where you can afford a property, or just changing your time horizon and focusing on your, on your career. And you know, maybe like in a few years, you can save some money and get to it. But look, it's a it's a really tricky situation. I certainly wouldn't say buy Bitcoin and you'll be able to afford a house in four years because that might not be true. Hey, folks, we're going to interrupt the show here briefly for two reasons. First. Be sure to go check out our wonderful show sponsors, CoinKite and Ledin, down in the show notes. Secondly, we had a bout of technical difficulties during this discussion, so we took a quick break and picked the discussion back up, hence the upcoming abrupt change in subject. Enjoy the rest of the chat. What a clown show, gentlemen. Here's what just happened. So you two have been talking this entire time. I've been listening to you. Everything's looked perfect on my end. But I thought I got raptured or something because <laughs> coming through. Then apparently, I, I don't know what the heck just happened, but I've been spectating you two. It's been fascinating, but uh, I guess no audio has been coming through. We've had a good time. You better not fuck this up now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm the wrench in here. I want to go back and say something that I tried to say, I think like six times. You two assholes were railroading me the whole time. I can't believe you didn't hear me. Dude, we actually did see you the whole time. We just completely ignored yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. We, handshake. we were texting each other. I was like, fuck that guy. <laughs> Peter, what I was going to say was, this is going back to a previous topic, and then we can get back on the middle class yeah. thing. You have seemed to me to be sort of a magnet for dogmatic binary thinking. Here's the deal with this podcasting thing. And tell me if you resonate with this. When you are the content creator, right? This is basically just an intellectual exercise pursuit where you're just having conversations with random people. And now all of a sudden you have this footprint, this following of people that are critiquing like your intellectual evolution. You're just a dude exploring ideas. And now you, you're this magnet for this cohort of tons of people that are pissed at you just exploring ideas. I know, this is something I think we've spectated you experience. And we're just now getting to a point where we're feeling some of that because it's like, yep. Hey, we're just a couple dad firemen having conversations in our basement. Why the fuck are you pissed about us just exploring ideas? Which I think hits on a, 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 an important theme before I hand it back, which is there is a way to have conviction without being dogmatic and closed-minded. And this is something that the Bitcoin community needs to work on significantly. It's getting crazy. People are being disallowed to even cover topics 
on these podcasts. And like, where are we going? This is not an environment of intellectual integrity when you tell people they can't talk about certain topics. Do you know what? Some people are becoming the thing they hate. Uh, and it's, I tell you my favorite thing to say to, like, sometimes I go in the YouTube comments, my producer tells me off all the time, but like someone's like losing their shit. I was like, can you just stop listening to my show? Just like, don't listen. I don't, I don't, I don't want you like, just, just don't be part of it. But my favorite thing to say to somebody is, I'm sorry. I just see the world differently than you. Right. That's it. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make is, is like, it is a complicated world and there are lots of different people who see it mm. differently. And I am not a fan of binary thinking because I try and understand the nuance of every situation. Like back to abortion. It's like, there's two sides kind of it's I, either you're murdering babies or you are enslaving a woman's womb that's like kind of like the true like oh you're a baby murderer oh, you're a womb saver it's like well hold on a second can we just talk about why do these people think it's a baby being murdered and why do these people think it's a womb being enslaved like how do we solve these complicated problems how do we work through it together and that's what and, and it doesn't have to be a portion it could be anything it could be trans issues it could be bitcoin it could be war in ukraine Anyone who takes a binary position, I immediately just kind of discredit them because there is always nuance to most situations, even a little bit, right? There's a lot of wisdom in saying, I don't know, or I need to go look into this. I need to research this. Not I have an immediate opinion that is based and predicated on what I've heard from CNN or Fox News or some asshole on the internet that's just going off on some crazy tangent. Having the ability to introspect on yourself and say, I am not educated enough to have a, mm. an opinion on this yet. Let me go figure it out. Or I'm educated and I've looked at it and I find it really complicated because I see all this argument and I'm like, I agree with part of it. And I see all this argument and I agree with part of it. Like, can we come together and figure it out? But unfortunately, we've got these assholes who are online and they're like, agree with me. Agree with yep. me. Why don't you agree with me? You're a fucking idiot. I'm going to make memes of you. Fuck you. I'm going to want to counsel you because you don't agree with me. And it's just like, well, holy shit, man. It's like, yeah, I don't agree with you, but you yelling at me is not going to make me agree with you. But come come at me with your like your best arguments and let's talk about it. But by the way, these are also my arguments. Well, I disagree with you. But again, I blame I blame media and I blame social media. I blame the two of them because the the incentive system of them both is to capture an audience and make you join the team. This weirdly, weirdly, I don't know how I've done it. Somehow I've managed to walk this line of pissing everyone off, yet it hasn't fucked my career. Like I pissed off <laughs> We're interested. We're interested in following. And I pissed <laughs> off the right. And then somehow I seem to still have like a, a big audience. And and do you know what I think it is? I think you've got the angry left and the angry right. And in the middle, you've got the 80% exhausted. And the most important feedback I get, the most important feedback I get isn't Twitter. It isn't YouTube. It's my emails. Because if someone sits down and takes the time, go, I'm going to email Pete McCormack and give him my opinion. I'm like, okay, you've cared enough to send me something. And you've sent me something where there's no witness to it, right? Mm. When you send a YouTube thing, you're probably the kind of person all day watching videos going, oh, fuck this, fuck you, I hate you, right? When you're on Twitter, you're virtue signaling, whether you're on the left or the right, you're virtue signaling a lot of the time and you want likes and retweets. 
I, I can't take nothing you say is going to change what I do. But if someone drops me an email and it's a really considered email and they've like really explained their arguments, I'm like, okay, I'll reflect on it. I'll say, Danny, and I'll forward it to Danny, I'll my producer, I'll say, Danny, look at this. This show here we made with Alex Epstein. Everyone said I was rude and interrupted with him. And I was kind of ignoring it uh, on YouTube, but I actually got this email from this guy. He said he listens to all the shows. He felt the same. Should we go and check it out? So we go and look at the video and we're like, yeah, do you know what? Maybe I did interrupt him a few times. Am I exposing my own bias here? Yeah, I think I am. So like what I'm saying is, is like, I am always just trying to find an answer and I'm trying to help other people find an answer alongside me, come along on the journey and like, like let's try and figure it out. And, and yeah. I'm rambling here, but what I would say to most people is like, you are not going to shout people into agreeing with you. Yes. You're just not going to do it. Go and go and yeah. read The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, one of the most important books I've ever read. It explains to you why you have conservatives, why you have liberal, liberals, the nature part, the nurture part, but it helps you understand how other people think. And, right. and yeah, so that's what I do. The other thing that's intimidating and unnecessary to feel this way as a content creator is like, of course, your viewpoints are going to be on the move. If you're not willing to sharpen your ideas against those that differ than yours and then willing to change them if your ideas need altering, what kind of what kind of intellectual integrity is that? And that's some of the preposterousness of creating content for years, which you've done. Of course, there's going to be things you said three, four years ago or even last week that you no longer align with or that have gone in a different direction. I think the point I'm making here that I, I think is so important, we, ha we have to be able to sharpen ideas. But Dan, are you, are you saying that as humans, we learn and we grow? Mm. What a ridiculous concept. You are not allowed to learn and grow. Once, you've, once you have an opinion, you're meant to keep it for, look, it's fucking bullshit. I mean, I pissed a lot of people off when the lockdowns first happened. I was like, I support these draconian lockdowns. Like, shit's getting real. And then, you know, Six months later, someone called me. I was like, yeah, you know what? I was wrong. I got that one wrong. And if you want to build a lot, I think if you want to build a long-term career, you can either be captured by an audience or, or, or be authentic, right? And if you're authentic and you, if you do these things, I'm sorry, I got this wrong. I don't know. I'm just trying to find, like, if you just, if you do these and you show that you can meander between different ideas, then I think people will build trust. Right. But you've got to stick. You've got to stick to something like because there is a trapping. There is a commercial trapping that independent content content creators have, which is exactly the same as mainstream media. The mainstream media is trapped by advertising. They need advertising, right? So if you're Fox News, you have to support Trump, support every Republican. You have to you have to uh, shoot down every Democrat idea, and you then you know you support your base and you support your advertiser base. CNN, Fox News are a mirror of each other. That's all they yeah. are. They are a complete mirror of each other. But what's happened is independent media uh, uh, people, like your Rogans, your Ferrises, your Lex Friedmans, have managed to carve out a career of just intellectually trying to find answers, right? Now, if you're an independent content creator, you can get trapped as well. I think Tim Pool's become trapped. Now, you've become trapped by likes and retweets because they lead to more people listening to your show, mm. which leads to more CPMs, which leads to more money. Yeah. But you, you can... You, and it's a fast track way to get an audience. Like, trust me, I'm on like half a million Twitter followers. If I wanted a million, I know how to do it. I know how to do it. And I know how to do it quick. But yeah. it means cutting corners. It means holding opinions I don't want to hold. It means over trolling. It means memeing the shit out of people. And I don't want to do that. It's just not me. 
So if you want to be, you can basically be the hare or the tortoise. Now the hare shoots ahead, whatever, but the tortoise has longevity, right? And if you want to be the tortoise, just be honest. You know, my, my sponsors know I'm honest. They trust me. You know, I'm not trapped by my sponsors either. So yeah, I mean, that's just the way, that's the way I see it. You just, just try and be honest. It reminds me of that conversation you just had with Tour, Tour, um, Tour de Meester about, about yeah. Stephen Monaloo. Like the, basically yeah. he created a cult and it goes back to this kind of tribalistic behavior that humans have, which is if you want to create a cult fairly straightforward, you know, you set rigid rules and ideas and you, you force people into that box and you cram them in, you know, you ostracize them if they're willing to step out of it and you ban them from the tribe and they're, you know, they're gone. And then you're able to basically just create this insane echo chamber for your, for your cult. And that's kind of what you're describing, but you're going to either build a yeah. cult or you're going to be honest and true to yourself. You also disincentivize idea exploration. Yeah. So like we had, we've had, we've had people tell us even at our size already, like you shouldn't talk to so-and-so. There was an instance where we wanted to talk to, and we do still want to talk to Voorhees very much. We've that's actually exactly. really enjoyed the episodes that you've done with him. Like, I love Eric. Here's a guy with a different perspective than ours for sure, but somebody that has earned his keep, has been in this space a long time, and obviously values the tenets of what Bitcoin represents. We literally tweeted out that we were interested in talking to him and had someone message us saying, like, you shouldn't talk to him. I'm like, who the fuck are you? I can talk to whoever I want to talk to in my basement at my house. <laughs> and, and even if we end the episode completely disagreeing with Eric, that was a fruitful intellectual ex exercise for us, potentially for him and for our entire audience. But again, again... Listen, this stuff's tricky because I had the same when I interviewed Craig Wright. Like, what the fuck are you doing I, when you interviewed when I interviewed Roger Fares? Like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I had it all early on, and I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. And I just did them. Now I've got it in a similar one. So that Stefan Molyneux one, right? Like, firstly, I'm not sure Tua made the best argument that it was a cult, um, but I do disagree with him. At, uh, I do, sorry, agree with him. Like, there's issues with Stefan Molyneux that I I have. Um, I think he's divisive. I think he isn't consistent in his opinions. Um, uh, I think he is manipulative. But but either way, whether it's a cult or whether it's just a group of people surrounded by some ideas that I disagree with, I I don't. I'm not a fan of the guy. Right. The show goes out. My YouTube is on fire. It, it's clearly got shared somewhere amongst amongst this Stefan Molyneux fans, and they're all coming in like, "Oh, you're out of order. This is a smear campaign." This is bullshit. You should have Stefan on. You should talk to him. You know, and sometimes there are times where somebody will be criticized and I will want the other side. Or when I've talked about uh, green issues, like because I'm, uh, uh, I mean, I've interviewed Catherine Hayhoe, who's an environment scientist. I'll also interview Alex Epstein, who's on the other side. That's fine. I'm okay with doing that. But if every interview is a choice, and when people are like, do you want to interview, you should interview Stefan Molyneux. I was like, no, not because I'm scared. Not because I feel I owe him. I'm not talking to him because I think he's a fucking idiot. I think he's, uh, I think he says some interesting things sometimes about some things. I also think he's massively divisive. I think he's a racist. I think he puts out uh, ideas which I just don't want to entertain. I don't even want to have to spend the time prepping for somebody who is very talented at arguing his point and, and putting people in a corner. He would, he would end up owning that interview and owning me. And I don't want to do it because I don't want to spend all that time prepping for that. When I disagree with him, I'd rather get somebody on who I think has got ideas that I'm interested in. I don't want to talk about 
give ideas of telling uh, people they should divorce their family and cut their parents out, I think that's fucking bullshit. Unless your parents are psychos and you need to get and you usually figure it out yourself. I also think his race and IQ. Look, the race and IQ thing's been discussed a lot. Personally, I think it is whether it's right or wrong, it's how people weaponize it for bigotry and discrimination. That's what I don't like. And I don't want to have that conversation because I don't really give a fuck if someone from a different race has a different IQ. I don't care. I literally don't care. Because a generic, what are you going to do with that? You take this generic, uh, which may or may not be even like like real science, but you, say you just could find an answer that said there is a, a, a an alignment between race and IQ. With that. What are you going to do with that? Are you saying, like, what is the advantage of having that information? What, you're going to put better education programs in for the other races or are you going to use it to exclude people and and exclude people coming into a country because what you're going to do is discriminate against the uh, certain people because there's this generic difference in iq look i don't even like talking i just think it's bollocks man it's straight up uh, stuff from the nazis and i'm not interested in it and so yeah so when a stefan molyneux you know people say well, I can, no just because there's like 20 people on youtube sounding at me I've got an audience of like anything from 50 to 150,000 listening to an episode. Do I think they want this and do I want it? Well, I don't. So that's, that's one cross. Do I think the audience wants it? Probably not apart from a handful of people. So I don't want to do it. Like Laura Luma. I did the Laura Luma one out of the conversation that happened at the conference in Miami the previous year. And do you know what? I wanted to do it, but actually the audience didn't give a shit. A handful of people did. And I also think she's another idiot who talks a load of bullshit. So like I'm becoming super selective about who I want on the show. And I don't feel like I owe a duty to anyone to come on it. I just, I just don't I feel like I'm ranting. <laughs> it's your show, dude. It's your, it's your yeah. creative project that you get to decide what you want to do with. But listen, what the point I'm trying to make is no one can tell you that you can't talk to someone, but no one can also tell that you should talk to someone right in the end. It's your show. It's an audience you're cultivating around a bunch of ideas. You take it exactly where you want. Yeah. Who was your dream guest on uh, what Bitcoin did? Mm, that's a good question. What they've had or what they want? No, that you would want that you just haven't been able to get. Somebody that's uh, uh, just quite not quite attainable. I mean, look, if it's in the Twitter world, I, I've never had my shot with Jack Dorsey. I would love that. He knows mm. that. I told him. Um, outside of Twitter, uh, God. I would love to interview the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp, or James Hetfield from Metallica. <laughs> or Metallica. Carl from Earth Crisis. I'm really actually, I think I'll end, uh, end up interviewing him at some point. I just think he's an interesting dude. Peter, if you had to interview one person for the rest of your show, come on every fucking week, who's it going to be? Oh, that's a fucking good question. Do you know, I hate when you, you know, when you turn around to somebody and you say, what's your favorite film? They go, well, I've got three and it really annoys me because it's like, it's a cop out and I can think of three straight away. But if I had to have one person for the rest of my, I think I would go with Austin Hill. He, yeah. Uh, Breedlove went deep with him uh, on a series. What was it? Like a series of eight episodes or something. Um, loved every bit of it. That guy can dig deep. Austin Hill is smart as shit knows a lot about everything he's rational he's not uh he's not like ideologically trapped um he's just so interesting and every interview i've had with him i just literally sit there taking in every word there, there are other candidates um but
but I always prefer when you ask someone for an answer, what's your favorite film, your favorite band, just give one answer. And for me, that's, yeah, it'd be Austin Hill. Let's talk football here. You're kind of realizing a dream. Talk to us about Real Bedford FC. What's gone on the last year? What are the future aspirations? Are you orange pilling some footballers? What's going on? Well, that, that, so that was, uh, the last six months have been a very humbling experience because I was like, I'm going to buy this team. I'm going to raise loads of money and then I'm going to get them in the Premier League. And then we took over and we couldn't even get them in the playoffs in the first year because uh, uh, I was not humble enough to understand that there are these two symbiotic elements of how a club works together. Actually, there's multiple, but you've got on pitch and off pitch and they need to work together. And I thought if I can do the off pitch really well, bring loads of money and I can just give that to the on pitch people and they could just get instant success. It doesn't work. And I've learned that now. And yeah, that was a, a very fast, painful lesson, which I've had, which I'm glad I've had. Um, but now the focus on next season. We announced our new manager today, Rob Sinclair. He's an ex-player, played for Stevenage, Forest Green. Uh, he's from Bedford. He played for Bedford Town as well, a local person. He kind of ticked every box for us. And we've given him a target. And his target is to win the league next year. It's not, not just to get promoted, it's to win the league, to come top. And we believe he's the guy to do it. Um, but the, but this is part of a long-term vision. This is about, you know, football has its own money problems. It doesn't matter whether you're in the Premier League or Tier 10 like us. Clubs are going bust all the time, especially clubs that go to the Premier League and come down. The distribution of money is poor, and clubs are just running very risky ways. And we're trying to say, listen, we're going to do it in a different way. Uh, and there's been some clubs who've had, you know, outside of the big clubs, who've had some success building a team around an idea. Forest Green Rovers are a great example. The chairman's a vegan, an environmentalist, and he's built his club around the idea of veganism. And that's their thing. Whether you agree with veganism or not, that's their thing. And you know what? The vegans love them. They love this team. <laughs> His whole team is just pale and withering away. <laughs> They're passing out on the field. Do you know the funny thing about veganism is like a lot of Bitcoiners don't like it. I'm telling you now, I was a vegan for two years. The first year when I was had the time to make my food in every meal, it was the healthiest I've ever felt. I was in good shape. I was running. I, I had a 23 and a half minute 5K and a 51 minute 10K. I would run 50, 60 miles a week. I felt light and I felt good and I felt strong. Um... I think any diet works as long as you look after your body and you know what you're putting in your body. But that, that's a side point. There's going to be a lot of shit talking about that one on, in the comments. Yeah, well, so, well somehow, <laughs> yeah, before we like, before, somehow, like, Bitcoin maximalism has been associated with all these other tenets of belief. Somehow, being a hardcore, relentless carnivore who doesn't eat any vegetables is associated with Bitcoin maximalism. Yeah, so. well, I mean, look. Do what you want. If you want to be a carnivore, be a carnivore. You want to be a vegan, be a vegan. If you want to be an omnivore, like whatever, just do what you want. Just stop fucking shouting at people for not being the same. Dumb. Agreed. Um, but yeah, so we're building our club around the idea of financial responsibility, ultimately through Bitcoin. And because of that, we can get Bitcoiners to be in. You guys, do you care about how my team does next year? Honestly, no. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> hey, Peter. Just as a spoiler, Josh is a complete nerd loser. Yep. He's never cared about sports. So, well, so Pete, I thought we would give you a couple of pointers since we, uh, we're both big footballers and, uh, we recently watched, this has been a big trend at the firehouse lately. There's a hilarious documentary on Netflix. It's about, basically it's about 
an amateur or a pro hockey team that was bought by a mobster. In, have you seen, seen it? it? You've seen it? So, yeah, I loved it. <clears throat> even better. So we were going to recommend, you know, if you want to take this in a different direction, maybe the secret is to just beat the shit out of the other team, red card, yellow card, your way to the championships. Just incentivize these guys to just be brutal. Brutal. Yeah, that's the plan, dude. We're going to fuck people up. No, uh, I've <laughs> seen that. That is amazing. But but Dan, listen, you care, right? Yeah, like so you care you're, you're, you're galvanizing the support of an entire community that like I don't I, I'm I'm un-American, Peter. You think I give a shit about soccer in actuality? No, I don't. I'm from the United States. But I, if I see the wind tally rolling up over there in real Bedford, you better believe I'm going to get excited about it. That's what you're talking about, oh. about getting everybody on board from a certain community. Um, well, think think about it. Like, no one gave a shit about MicroStrategy two years ago. We all love this company now. We don't buy this. Yeah, software. right. No one gave a shit about El Salvador like 18 months ago. It's now our favorite other country in the world. We love it and we want Bukele to win. And this is the same with, with Real Bedford. It's like, you know, let's get behind an idea. I think you're definitely onto something. And obviously, kidding, like I do want to see your football team kick ass and it would be really cool. And I think the angle that you're playing there is going to have some, it's going to have some momentum behind it because everybody wants to see people they know, people that are in Bitcoin especially do well. And I hope you guys do. What's the perception of like team management team previous fans about the whole Bitcoin introduction? Like do people well, care or are they we, we don't we don't have many fans. Listen, in the town there's a little bit of excitement around it, but that's equally met with some massive fucking hate. Like hmm. people who there's another local team called Bedford Town. I mean they there's some of their fans hate us and they just they want us to fail. Um but there's a it's a mix. It's just a real mix. Uh, some of it, some of the negativity is my fault for coming in like a big loud mouth saying, "Oh, we're going to do this," and like we didn't. Uh, but some of it is like people don't like change. Like they hate our name, they hate our logo. Like everything we're doing is non-traditional football. It's just not. We're trying to build a brand and a, a team that can appeal outside of town. Because if your appeal is just your town and you're a small town like Bedford, financially it's hard. It's hard. We're trying to appeal out to the side so we can bring success to the town and have good finances. But that requires a strategy. But you know what? Like, I'm going to get knocked for this a lot, and, and I'm just going to keep plugging away. I think this is a, an important project for me, to, if I get it right, for Bedford, but also for Bitcoin. What's the dream with this team? Premier League. Win the Premier League. I mean, if you say in dream, yeah. but, like, but realistic dream is league football. So you've got the Premier League. Then you got the championship, League One, League Two, and that's considered the football league. Those two. If we got to League Two, oh my God, we got a. We've never had a league club in Bedford. If we could do that, honestly, I would die a happy man. That's that's the dream. How far away are you from the uh, Formula One team? By. <laughs> you know what? Funny enough, my uh, a good friend of mine I went to school with, uh, Max Verstappen's race engineer. Like uh, big shout out to GP. They crushed it last year, won the title. They're looking good this year. I love everything he's doing, but he's uh, he's the local uh, Formula One uh, celebrity, and, and that's for them. But I'm never going to be rich. Uh, I'm not I'm not great with money because when I have it, I just give it away. I'm always giving it away, and I would throw every penny I have into this football team to bring league football to the town. That's like it's such a big, important thing for me to do. So I doubt I'll ever have the money for a Formula One team. Let's switch to the dream of your show. Like, uh, what do you think is the future trajectory of your show? You think you're going to stick Bitcoin? You think you're going to go elsewhere? What are you feeling? What is it, four years in? What are your thoughts on what Bitcoin did? Yeah, it'll be five years in November. Um, I mean, look, I, I think 
I think the natural progression will be, it depends how long the time frame is. Like one or two things will happen. We'll get to the, well, one or three things. Bitcoin will die, so I won't have anything to talk about. <laughs> I don't think that will happen. Bitcoin will just become a thing, like a normal thing. So yeah. you won't need to talk about it. Right. Or I will be just worn out talking about Bitcoin and just want to do other things and just like career wise, you know, I, I just, you know, Bitcoin is wearing and tiring, right? Being, being shouted at and salted all day, every day, just like it's a bit much after four years, four and a half years. And, and just, I have my own intellectual curiosity. I want to talk to other people. I'd love, to, I'd love to interview other people on a range of subjects. So I mean, I don't, do I see myself hosting a Bitcoin show in 10 years? No, but probably hosting a podcast. Maybe I get to the point whereby like um, Bitcoin's one of my subjects, but I'm like a mixture of Bitcoin and economics, governance and just weird and interesting people. I mean, Bitcoin will probably always be part of it, but will it be all of it? I, I don't know. I, you know. I see some of the people like Lex Friedman interviews and I get super jealous. I'm like, I want to talk to him. I yeah. think that all the time as well. I love Lex's long form. I love how deep he dives into whatever subject it is and just random shit. Like when he talks to somebody about aliens, I'm listening to that fucking episode. I don't know why it's such an interesting topic to listen to people at the forefront of whatever scientific endeavor they're into. Mm. Talk about aliens and crazy off the off, just off topic shit. You don't expect them to talk about and super interesting. And Lex has a great way to just be curious and stay out of the way. You know, he just does it well. Yeah, so I wasn't a fan of him originally. I, I just wasn't a fan of his. Like, and I, I was like, I don't get this. And then I listened to the Sailor one. I was like, ah, oh, now I understand the subject. I get what he's doing. And now I'm like, now I'm a fan. I actually, yeah, I'm a fan. His breed love discussion may be the best single Bitcoin podcast I've ever listened to. Fuck you. <laughs> I hate to tell you that, Peter, but hey, I'm cutting. I'm I'm being honest here. It is so good it's more of an intro resource yeah, like it's I a know, three dude. hour deal but it's the way lex like picks things apart and and you do this too rogan does this but sometimes it is a bit of a slow burn like it's it's at that 15 20 30 minute mark that things kind of mm. start heating up and if you don't have the patience for it you're missing out because that's that's where a lot of the good content comes once the rapport has been built and the and the question asker kind of lets some things marinate and decides which direction to go no, I'm I'm with you. That breed love one blew my mind. It is it is. I'm with you. I I I would I would struggle to think of a, a better Bitcoin show. I'm, I'm yeah. I would struggle to think of a better Bitcoin show than that. It's one of the best. Just holistically, wall in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also really there was there was a show that pumped with Murad, which I also thought was a great intro, but for an entirely different reason. It was a lot more basic. Um, and I, I also love the the Lex one with Nick Carter. I thought that was super good as yeah. well. I mean, uh, yeah, Lex, Lex was someone like I say I wasn't keen on, and now I get it. And now I'm like, oh, I see. Because the other thing is, I don't know about you guys, but I listen to podcasts differently. I think than everyone else. I can't just listen. I'm I'm learning. It's a bit like if you're if I watch a basketball match, I'm watching a game of basketball. If you're if you want to be a professional basketball player, when you're watching a basketball match, you're trying to learn what the players are doing, take something from it. Right. So when I listen to a podcast now, I can't help but thinking, "Ah, oh, shit, that was really cool what you did there. Like how you took that conversation there, or you know how you like uh, you encouraged an idea to come out of the guest." I mean, I've interviewed Michael Saylor three times, but 
I've never got done as good a job as Lex Friedland did. He fucking crushed it. And I'm like, what did you, what is it you've done that I haven't done? And I'm so that's that's something I take from the podcast now. I wonder how much of it just has to do with the long form, you know, this this the long form itself. Like it just allows that slower burn and allows the guests to relax more, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But I do enjoy long form. The thing, the problem is with like when you've got a show like Bitcoin, a Bitcoin show that's just Bitcoin, you're essentially a Bitcoin bull. Therefore, you come in with your own opinions. Therefore, sometimes you maybe get into a debate or try and like lead it down to a, a mm. road, which is your yeah. opinions. Whereas if you're Alex Friedman, you're doing every interview can be a completely different subject. So it's you're basically saying, come on and teach my audience about this. Just teach me. Right. Just tell me what all this is and what it means and why I should care. Whereas like I have to go a layer deeper because I've got people who are, are questioning things. Like, you know, questioning uh perhaps they're questioning uh political structures or like this future world of of anarchy that some people want. And I'm trying to get into those deeper layers, which means I really have to push people. Um you know, and sometimes I stumble, I get things wrong. Like it's hard. People yeah. it's a lot harder than you think, right? I'm kind of one of those people that would, I mean, if I had to go on one side of the spectrum or the other, anarchy is kind of appealing in a lot of ways. And listening to you talk to guests about that, I completely agree with your, I guess, your holistic view on it. Like, in order for us to ever get to that, there has to be a whole lot of disruption and a whole lot of scary shit, you know, for society to kind of work its way through. And that's something that I think people that, again, are holding some kind of a very rigid view on how this should be are misunderstanding the transition from how things are to how things ideally they'd like them to be. It could be very, very tumultuous and dangerous. Yeah. I mean, how do we get there? What's the net result? And what are the implications? And it's such a complex subject. Like This is an area that has been awesome for Josh and I as friends because we're in different spots with this. Like when you get into governance and all this stuff, and this may surprise some of our audience, but Josh and I have many different viewpoints. That's why we value our relationship so much. And that's why we we get things out of discussions. And I think we do a lot of sharpening each other's views on that, which is good. We do. A lot of uh, lengthy text threads and discussions where we just, we disagree. It's such a complex subject. I do look at the libertarian view and I do consider it somewhat adorable. Like you basically want to open up the entire body, right? And have organs spilling out right in front of us. It's not ripping a bandaid off. It totally rewrites the entire fabric of how human beings communicate and relate. It's not that I'm saying there's no chance we can get to a destination that looks very dissimilar than where we are today, but we have to make incremental moves and latch on to things that incentivize changing behavior. So let's say we start from ground zero saying, Central governments around the world have, are engorged. They've gotten massive. They have their hands in everything. We want them to retract to some extent. Well, well, then we need to embrace technologies and movements that incentivize behavior in the direction we want, right? And that's, I mean, I think part of the reason we're interested in Bitcoin, but that can be an incremental move. Like there's this sudden desire to, uh, to arrive at this fully libertarian society that just, in order for food to be on the table and for people not to be starving on the streets, I don't think that People sort of work through what happens in the midterm of how we get there and like, be careful what we ask for, because I do like, and Josh and I would agree, we, we hope for the flourishing of mankind. Like we want the most flourishing for the most people possible. Peter, I'm just going to make my response to him really quick. Like, obviously Dan's an idiot, like (laughs) clearly, (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I I think I think Peter, you've influenced my view on this a lot, and it's basically like I think most people, most everyone comes out of you where they they think that they're being reasonable and they're being logical, and they hold that view very close to themselves. And anything that derides that is in a personal attack, and it hurts my ego, so I don't like it. And I agree, Dan. Like it, the transition is needs to happen in some capacity, but it probably won't be what every libertarian wants or thinks or any anarchist or yeah. any socialist or any other part of the spectrum. But it's important for people to just keep their ego out of their ideas as much as they can really is what it boils down to. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm not against libertarianism. I just, I keep getting told like when I question it, well, you don't understand it or you're straw man. It's like, well, it's just, okay, explain it to me, but I'm not against it. I think, on, I think on paper, it's the, everything I'm told makes sense. I just think the reality is going to be different. And I also think, can we get there? Like, if you burn down the state, what do you think happens? I think you end up rebuilding the same thing again. You do. Yeah. Because people start to want to organize themselves, and then they create hierarchies, and then they create structures, and then they create rules. And then who votes on those rules? I think you end up rebuilding there. And what if you burn it down and create the whole thing again, but it comes out worse? You know, you go from like a liberal democracy to an authoritarian state. You go from a Sweden to a Venezuela. Like, yeah. who knows? There's a lot of risks. There was a lot of a lot of people who died and fought for the freedoms we have now. And yes, we don't have absolute freedom, but, but but why? Let's question why. You know, is it possible? Can we make what we have better? I just, I don't disagree with the view of libertarians. What I question is, look, US, the USA is the, the most libertarian country there is, right? And I'm going to steal something from Lynn Oldham here. This isn't my own thinking. You have 50 states. She said, "Why isn't you know why isn't one libertarian? Like we got we got 50. Why can't all the libertarians move to one and, and test it out? And it's it's a battle place for ideas, and you know that idea just hasn't been bought. But authoritarianism authoritarianism has worked, and socialism. When I say worked, I mean happened. I yeah, mean yeah. it's worked. Socialism's yeah. happened. Capitalism's happened. Democracy's happened." some reason like anarchism hasn't truly happened usually someone goes oh well you don't know of this example in french new guinea on this i'm like fuck, i don't care like it hasn't happened in a meaningful way and why not and then like what are you going to do to make it happen are you going to stay on twitter all day just like laughing about libertarianism are you going to get out there and make it happen you're going to build a community you know so like i'm not against it i just want to say why hasn't it happened how do you get there what's in the output like if the net result is worse than we are today well like is, is it worth it or is that the reason we're not there because there are more people who are collectivists than individualists but also i want the libertarians to engage in more politics and just like like get some of your ideas in there make the state a bit smaller i think the vast majority of people in general just they value safety much more than they value freedom i think that's fairly clear after especially the last couple of years people are very easily i mean fear is the number one motivator for human beings because we evolved in a savanna with you know potentially a lion in the grass over there so being fearful of that you're going to propagate your genes more likely than the guy who isn't afraid and gets eaten by that thing yeah but hold on what's what what, what what's that thing that's saying like everyone brings out that point and like is it ben franklin or someone who said if or george washington anyone who gives up uh, uh freedom for a bit of security deserves neither or something i'm like okay like that's a really good line to bring out to make someone feel shit about their feel like a know, pussy, idea yeah. or something yeah yeah i feel like a pussy but like we we want we want safety sometimes you know we want to 
uh, we want to lock our house. Like, I don't want guns in the UK. I'm like, I absolutely respect guns in the US. I love shooting guns. I think it's fun. And I just don't want them in the UK. And if you had a vote, I honestly think somewhere between 95 and 99% of people will be like, no, we don't want guns. And we're okay with this. And then people can say, oh, boy, you won't be able to take it down on a, you know, authoritarian government. It's like, well, fuck's sake, you, when are you guys going to do it? Like, we're not in 1776 anymore. Like, it's 2022. You've got 200, 300 years of this. You've not needed it. And you're probably never going to need it. So, like, I just don't buy that. It just, it's, it's, I think it's a way to, like you say, make someone feel like a pussy. And it doesn't come, it doesn't, it doesn't respect the idea. Like, we are, we are naturally collectivist. We naturally work together. We've just fucked it up a few times and we're fucking it up again. But if we swing the pendulum the other way, we'll fuck that up because we're humans. If we just fuck everything up. Yeah. And again, this is why there's like the, there's the outliers on either side of the spectrum. And then there's the vast majority of people that are somewhere in the middle that just want reasonable shit to happen. They don't want the world to burn. They just want to live their lives and be relatively safe. Yeah, exactly. See their kids. What pisses you off the most about Americans? I want, I want to get this question. Like, what's, what's the most annoying? Huge percentage of your audience is American. Oh, that's a good question. Probably how fat they are. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already skinning myself. Uh, well, firstly, I'm going to be positive. I actually love America. There's no country I've traveled to more. I've been like 100 times. I think I've done like 17 states now. Uh, the experience I always say to people of going to America is very different from the media. Like, it's not everyone going around trying to USA and argue and everyone's so accommodating welcome. I mean, people want you to win which is my thing i like about americans they want you to win people here want you to fail <laughs> but americans want you to win and they're like how did you win i want to win tell me how to win so i like that um what just pisses me off about americans i guess the one thing is like i think americans should travel more like and go to mm-hmm. canada or carbo doesn't count or turks and yeah. like not even going to South America, like get to fucking Asia or get to Europe and just see that people live differently. Like I, when I first went to America, I was like, you guys are fucking idiots with your guns. You've got kids running around school shooting each other. And now I spent time there. I understand guns. I understand gold culture. Still don't want it, but I understand it and I respect its background, right? Go to mm-hmm. Europe and understand the, what, what, the way we do things. You know, walk around the streets and you don't need a gun. And you feel a bit safer, you know, not perfect. Not everywhere's perfect. Yeah. See the way we do things. See us as you like go to Asia, see how Asia is and how everyone's so fucking friendly in Thailand and Cambodia to travel and get to see, because I think my biggest criticism of America, they think America's perfect. America's best. We're the best. Everyone else has got it wrong. Everyone should be like us. But some of the biggest geopolitical mistakes America's made is trying to make everyone the same. Like there is a reasonable argument to say that, that, under Saddam Hussein, Iraq was a was a better country. It was a more fucked country, and they had an authoritarian dictator and gas people. Don't get me wrong; he is an evil fuck, and I, and it, you know you should want rid of him. But at the same time, it was stable the region, right? And 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 I think you have to let people figure this shit out themselves. Like democracy has to be born from within a country. Mm. You know they have to fight for it themselves. You can't impose on people because you get that you get people hate you for it. So I think Americans need to like realize there's a world outside of America and understand how different cultures work and just try and like embrace that back in their own country. Totally agree. Well said. Yeah. Well said. 
Man, it was fun not talking that much about Bitcoin this week. I'm Love guessing it, you dude. agree, Peter. Like we talk about it every week, so it was fun to just shoot the shit. And I'm sure, hopefully, our audience agrees. They've they've spent a lot of time uh, listening to you do the interviewing, so hopefully, they learned uh, a little bit more about your angle. When are we going to get a beer round? Like if I come to Chicago, can we make it happen? Uh, we'll make it happen for sure, hundred percent. All right, man. Right. There's something wonderful, podcast or not, about just being in the company of like-minded or non-like-minded individuals that sharpen your thinking. All right. Well, listen, let's make it happen. When I'm in Chicago, I will let you know and we'll get that beer and I'll see if I can get Jack Mallers to come out and join us. Awesome. Peter, thank you. All right. Well, wicked. Keep doing, guys. Keep crushing them. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah.